0: In connection with the question what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible we have affirmed that God is utterly unable to forgive men's sins unless he can find a way to do so consistent with his obligations of righteousness in the development of this necessity we have remarked first that man is under moral law and moral government as distinguished from the great realm of causation the law of cause and effect of the physical universe secondly that punishment is a public measure to prevent disobedience and disregard to the very laws of happiness to God and man third That every act of pardon on the part of a ruler weakens the force of justice by proclaiming that sin might be committed without suffering the consequences fourthly that since no substitute has been found in human governments for the punishment of transgressors it is impossible to exercise both justice and mercy at the same time when mercy is exercised, justice suffers, and when justice is insisted upon, mercy is lacking, and a hardness settles down upon men's faces. Fifthly, we referred to a great classical illustration of this state of affairs as brought forth in the book of Daniel concerning Darius, who was king of the Medes and the Persians. You recall that Daniel was the chief of three presidents under the king, and under them were 120 princes, and that the other presidents wanted to dispose of him, and thus had this law enacted, that no requests were to be made of anyone save of the king for a period of 30 days. Of course, Daniel insisted on carrying on his prayer relationship to God, and thus was brought forth as a violator. The threatened punishment was to be cast into the den of lions. And you recall how Darius labored uh, without success to spare Daniel with all the means that he could think of. But it had to be carried forth in order that the law of the Medes and the Persians might not be destroyed. Daniel was preserved miraculously through this terrible ordeal with great victory of faith. But this illustrates the impossible problems that exist in human government in the exercise of both justice and mercy and now we proceed to remark in the sixth place that this same predicament exists in the moral government of God God has said for example in the second chapter of Genesis and verse 17 before the fall of man that the following penalties would take place if they should enter the realm of sin and disobedience. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die, or dying thou shalt die, or a process of death shall take its course and eventually end in perpetual separation. And in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 we read this regulation. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So here we have it affirmed that God has enacted these punishments against sin. We go on to the passage in the second chapter of Romans. Which has previously been referred to. And here we have it asserted, God's unalterable reaction towards sin. Verse 4 Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God? who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, But glory honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the jew first and also to the gentile for there is no respect of persons with god and then god has declared that all disobedience will come forth in the judgment as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment and the great future of those who are without pardon and forgiveness shall be eternal separation from the loving presence of god as we have discussed we read just one passage second thessalonians 1 9 who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power so god has so positively affirmed that sin shall be punished that none shall escape, that he is no respecter of persons, and thus he must call all to account for their own sins. Please notice. Can now God reverse his declaration and say, The soul that sinneth, it shall live, without dire consequences to his government and misrepresentation of his own moral character? God cannot certainly oscillate between justice and mercy as human rulers must do. If his moral government will be in the least weakened by his overtures of mercy, he cannot under any circumstances be merciful. Has any such profound measure been found that shall enable God to be merciful and at the same time protect his justice and establish his moral realm over the undying souls of men and other moral beings. It is the wonderful, unparalleled message of the Bible that such a measure has not only been found, but brought to pass, as summed up in First 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is called the gospel or the glad tidings but that we may better understand the glorious gospel let us remark in the seventh place that the basic problem was not any unwillingness on the part of god the father to forgive sin it was not in any sense a necessity that god's strict personal vindictive justice had to be settled the last iota before he was disposed to be merciful to sinners the son was not more merciful in condescending to suffer for the sins of the whole world than the father was in making arrangements for and providing such an atonement there cannot by any possibility be a division of the godhead in that the son as savior leans more to be merciful or lenient whereas the father leans more toward the side of strict justice and so we remark in the eighth place that contrary wise to this it is revealed in the scripture that god the father is personally disposed to forgive sin that his love or abounding loving kindness and mercy has evidently conquered his vindictive inner personal reaction to sin so that he is abundantly willing to forgive sinners if it can be wisely done from other considerations this conquest is aptly expressed in perhaps the most common verse in the bible namely john 3:16 for god so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life notice here that the love of god for sinners preceded the thought and advent of the atonement of our lord jesus christ this is the wonderful message of the bible that god is so unlike us and is so abundantly merciful and kind In nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17 we read and refused to obey neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage referring to the children of israel in their disobedience to god but notice this but thou art a god ready to pardon gracious and merciful Slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Consider this description of the very essential nature of the great God of the heavens. And then in Psalm chapter 86 and verse 5, we have this wonderful summary. For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy, unto all them that call upon thee. Then our blessed Lord set forth a parable, as recorded in the 18th chapter of Matthew, where he spoke about a creditor who had debtors. And then we read in verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Here was a compassionate ruler that Jesus likened unto the great God. And in verse 32 and 33, One of these servants that was forgiven became very rebellious, and so our Lord commented. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And so here's an illustration of the great compassionate heart of God, the great forgiving, merciful heart of the great Father in heaven. Then in Ephesians 4.32 we have an instructive verse. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you so we are admonished to go and do like God has done to us the Father has been filled with a great abundance of mercy and tenderness toward us and this motivated the great measures of the atonement thus God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have one sweet disposition of broken-hearted love and yearning over sinners and stand ready to exercise their abounding love to repentant sinners in the forgiveness of sins on the basis of some tremendous governmental measure that shall uphold and declare righteousness at least equally as well as the punishment of sinners would do Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that the Bible declares thy wonderful love and the glorious atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that many may repent this day, be forgiven, restored, and go on to live for thee in Jesus' name. Amen.